listening to a Clovis Hills podcast. You're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Hey, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good morning, good morning, good morning. I want to greet everyone that's watching right now. Those of you that are with our online community, God bless you guys. Thank you for being with us. We... I'll get to the other campuses in a minute. It just reminds me, um, I baptized someone, well, we baptized two people this morning. One woman um, got it, she came in a walker. It took five people to get her in the water and out of the water, and she was gonna do it, and she, you know, took her wig off and just, boom, got in and got baptized. And I said to everyone at the crowd, everyone standing there, I said, listen, if this woman can get baptized those of you that are holding out, you have no excuse. She had every excuse in the world to not get in the water and make that good, good confession. And she did. It was really cool. And then I, I baptized this woman, and um, I, I'd never met her. Her name was uh, Christina. And I said, so afterwards, I said, congratulations. When did you become a believer? And she said, well, it was late March 2020. And I said, oh, that's cool. How did that come to be? And she goes, well, during the pandemic, I started watching Clovis Hills online. I'm from Atwater. And we drove out here today to get baptized. And I was like, what? So online community, you are with us. We are with you. We appreciate you guys and we love you. So also good morning to um, those over in the blend right now at Old Town, our campus there, our Tulare Street campus, our the Hills Novato in Marin County. Sorry, I'm blanking. And, and our guys in Porterville. One more though. We got another one. It's not like an official one, but um, there's a guy, he's been going here for years and he went to the On Target Evangelism Conference we had last week, which was amazing. And he got super inspired. He goes, listen, I'm gonna be gone all summer. I rented a house at Huntington Lake and I'm gonna be up there all summer. He goes, I just decided I'm having a sign made, church 1030 in my house, I'm gonna invite everyone that's staying up in Huntington Lake to church in my house all, all summer long. So thank you, Dan, at our Huntington Lake campus. Way to go, way to be the church. Way to be the church, right? I could spend all morning talking about what the church, not the organization, what the, who's church? Are. You are. What the church is doing in, in our community. Um, you know, back in September, we started kind of a campaign called Tell Me Your Story. And really what we were asking everyone to do was to learn to tell their story, to give your testimony in 15 seconds, like three minutes or 30 minutes, however God allowed it, that you could tell your story. And um, we said, whenever you get a chance to have a spiritual conversation where you get to tell your story or talk about Jesus to someone, get out the Clovis Hills app and there's a button on there and let us know. And we, we just want to keep count of how many spiritual conversations have been going out. Um, in, into our community. And we, I know people forget, I haven't talked about it in, in, in two months. But um, this Wednesday, I was walking around our North Campus and um, there were, you know, there's, if you've ever been to the North Campus on, on a Wednesday night, uh, Old Town's like that too. It's just packed with people. And there's, I walked into our fourth, fifth, and sixth grade class, the pier. And um, in there, 20 kids got up in front of their, their friends and they shared their story in 20 seconds or less. They each got up and they said, before Jesus, I was anxious and scared. And then I met Jesus 
and I have peace now. And they got up and they started doing that. And I was like, these kids are sharing their story. It's such a powerful thing. And then the, um, the, one, one of the teachers went around the, the, the group of kids and they were interviewing them with the mic and saying, how, how did it feel when you shared your story? And all, you know, all of them were like, I was so scared. I was so nervous, but then I did it. And I feel so good. And then all the kids that didn't share their story was like, wait, I want to share my story now. You know, it's just, it's a powerful thing because here's the thing. No one can argue with you about your story, what God did in your life. And it can be very simple. And, um, you don't need to compare your story to anyone else's, any of that. And today we're going to continue this series called My Anxious Thoughts. And I was thinking about the things that, that create anxiety in us as human beings. And um, one of them is the comparison game, right? You know, when we compare ourselves to others and I was, uh, it creates this discontent in us because we live in a world where we're all faking it. You know, we clean up 20 feet around us to take the picture, right? So that our life looks amazing. And then we get on social media and we start looking and we're like, look at Jennifer, she's so pretty. I hate her. <laughs> Why am I not like that? You, you know, we start, we start doing that thing. And like guys are laughing like, yeah, chicks are funny like that. Same thing with us, we're just different. We're just different. I was at the gym the other day and like, you know, I'm trying to work out and I go over and first and foremost, I'm in the locker room. I'm changing in the locker room and I'm an old guy now. I'm turning 50 in a week. Okay. So like I go to the gym, I change, I put my clothes on, I go work out and then I come back and I take a shower and I'm an old guy. I don't really care. But you young guys like under 30, I need to let you in on something. Stop taking pictures of yourselves in the freaking locker room. You're like sucking in your gut. Like, you look like tools doing that. I'm just letting you know. Like, you are the definition of a tool when you do that. And part of me, like, I'm walking to my towel. I just want to stand behind him and, like, photobomb him and be like. <laughs> but we play that comparison game. And I, you know, I'm out like doing my curls. I got my barbells. I'm doing my curls. And I even do it too. I fall prey to it. Like I walk, I'm doing it. I'm looking at my muscles in the mirror. I'm like, oh, I'm good. And then some meathead with arms twice the size of me is lifting three times as much. And I feel like I've got like a shake weight or something. I'm like, hi, everyone. You know, or there's like pink streamers coming off the edge of my barbells. So I'm like, I'm just here lifting nothing. And, and what happens is it creates an anxiety and I put them down and I go to a machine where no one knows how much I'm lifting. That comparison game can get you. It can also get you in the opposite way. You could be really struggling with something that is wrecking you, wrecking your life, wrecking people around you, wrecking you spiritually, all of that. And what we do is we play the comparison game. We just find someone who's worse off than us. We go, well, at least I'm not like that Jennifer. <laughs> well, at least I'm not like him. At least I'm not like my dad. And we go on and on. And we pick someone in a worse situation and we compare ourselves to them so that we can live the lie we're in. Oh, I got serious real quick, didn't I? Because that's what human beings do. So today we're gonna talk about contentment. 
And we're doing this series called My Anxious Thoughts, and we're reading from the 23rd Psalm. In the reading today, it's only three verses out of the 23rd Psalm, but I would love it wherever you're at, whatever campus you're at, if you would rise to your feet in honor of the Word of God, and I'll read it to you. This is Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. This is God's word. You may be seated. You know, last week we talked about the Lord being our shepherd and what that looked like and what that was like and how Jesus called himself the good shepherd. I want to talk to you today about lacking nothing. What does that mean? I lack nothing. So, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul ha- had some things to say about that. And see, Paul... Um, in the New Testament, when you learn about the life of Paul, you end up finding out that he's this incredibly compelling figure. And the Apostle Paul, um, if you know anything about his background, he was a Pharisee. And uh, we find in the New Testament, specifically through his writings in the book of Acts, not only was he a Pharisee, but he was um, at at certain points in his, his life very wealthy. He was actually born into money. He had lots of money, and he was born into this money. He was Saul. He's from a city called Tarsus. And uh, what we find in the book of Acts is that Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a Jew, but he was a Roman citizen. So what that meant was that at an early age or when he was born, his parents bought him Roman citizenship. And the way you got, you had to drop some serious cash to get Roman citizenship. Like he, they they had to drop a lot of money to get that for him. So he was a Roman citizen, but then he was this Jewish Pharisee. It said he was schooled under Gamaliel. Gamaliel would have been like going to an Ivy League school. Gamaliel was a rabbi at that time. He was called the teacher of Israel. Um, So he came from all, any place that you would say elite in Jewish culture, he came from it. From the Jewish elite, from the Roman elite, he had it all. And then he came into contact with Jesus and it changed his life. And Paul became this, this, this guy that traveled the Roman Empire telling people about Jesus. He would get beaten. He would get thrown into jail. He had nothing. He got shipwrecked. He, on and on and on. Time and time again. As a matter of fact, whenever he would go into a city, we find out um, that you know, he, he must have left the wealth of his youth because he ended up, he, um, he got a job in every city he went to, to start a church in or preach in. He, would st- he had a business. He was a tent maker and he would make tents for people so that no one could accuse him of, of being in, into Jesus for the money, which is super funny. And that rhymes, honey. Um, so he, he's this, this complex figure that, that had everything and had nothing People esteemed him and hated him, but he was still the same person the whole time. And he lets us in. He gives us a little peek of who he is in the book of Philippians and how he's like that. And it's in Philippians 4, verse 12 through 13. If you want to talk about lacking nothing, look, look what he says here. He says, 
I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's a famous verse. We usually use that when we're like lifting weights or we want to do something. It's like a rocky moment in our life. Like, yeah, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the truth of the matter is the context of this verse has everything to do with contentment because that might be the hardest thing on the planet for human beings to do. It is very hard for self-included for all of us to do. I'm a guitar player and I love guitars and I collect guitars and I do that. And we guitar players, we have a mathematical equation. It's um, X equals the amount of guitars you own plus one more. <laughs> it's always one more. And um, John Roseman, he's a, a national syndicated columnist and he's a, a, a psychologist, a family psychologist. Um, he likes to take these unusual polls. And whenever he goes into the third world, he, uh, one of the polls he, he did is he would ask parents in the third world that have little children, he'd ask them, how many of your children ever tell you that they're bored? And he said, without um, exception, they always say none. My children never tell me they're bored. As a matter of fact, um, uh, other cultures look at them incredulously and, they, and they, as to say, like, boredom. Boredom and kids don't go together. But it's funny, in America, I thought that was my kid's name for a long time. They, I'm bored, I'm bored. I'm, I'm Sean, how you doing, bored? Nice to meet you. And um, I was reading his, his, his article on it, and he, and he talked about, you know, in the 1930s and 40s, um, the number of toys a child had before the age of five was somewhere between zero and three. That was the average, zero and three. Now, um, I remember my mom telling me, you know, she, she came from, from Texas uh, as a little girl and she lived in Escondido, California. And she's like, yeah, we didn't have any dolls. Um, we took the Sears catalog and we put girls' clothes on bricks. And those were our toys. And I was like, wow. By the 1950s, though, um, kids f around five years old had an average of about 10 toys. So that's pretty good, right? Um, today, in the 21st century, I don't know if you know this, the average five-year-old has over 260 toys. Now, that is pretty astounding when you think about it. There's 52 weeks in a year, and if you are five years old, you have lived 260 weeks of the year. You get a new toy every week. And I could rag on the five-year-olds, but let's talk about the 20-year-olds, the 30-year-olds, the 40-year-olds, the 50-year-olds, the 60-year-olds, the 70-year-olds, even you 80-year-olds. I know you're here. We're not much different. We have two, you know, we're at five, we have 260 toys and we're bored out of our skull. And then you're 50 and you've got, you can buy just about anything you want and you just think you need something more. See, here's, here's the thing. What the world offers us is like grabbing the wind 
You'll never get a hold of it. It'll, never, it'll only satisfy you for a moment. And see, anxiety is this thing that, that, one, I need you to understand this. Anxiety actually is a natural thing. Um, your brain is wired to have anxiety. It's a, it's a fight or flight response. There's nothing wrong with that. But in this world we live in, in the 21st century America, whenever we feel anxious, what we do is we, we grab for things that will comfort us because it takes away kind of that reptilian element of our brain and we want to go to the other part of our brain. So when we feel anxious, we go to food. We go to alcohol, we go to Amazon, we go to pornography, we go to sex, we go to whatever it is that will make us forget about it. We go to Instagram and we go to all of those things because the feeling of anxiety, it, we want to be foreign to us. But I'm gonna let you in on something. Um, if, you are, if you have a phobia, if, you are, if you're afraid of something, um, psychologists will tell you the thing really in therapy they want you to do is at some point is not avoid your phobia the rest of your life, not avoid the thing that brings anxiety on your life, but when you face the phobia, it doesn't take it away. As a matter of fact, it, you know, you're not like magically like, oh, I'm not afraid of snakes anymore. It's not that. Here's what happens. When you lean into your anxiety, what happens is the way God has wired your brain, the way God has wired your soul is it creates a thing in you called courage. And it doesn't take the phobia away. What it does, it allows you to face it with courage. But when we run from it and we go to comfort, and we go to comfort every time we feel anxiety, what it does is it wrecks us. We never build the courage. We never build the resiliency. We never build the fortitude to lean into it. And see, God has made you for so much more, so much greater. And see, what we do, though, is instead of the Lord being our shepherd, we let the world be our shepherd and comfort us and guide us. And that leads me to number two in the, this sermon is that God, he, it says in the psalm, refreshes our soul. He's the one. Those things, I mean, you can buy all the stuff you want. Another cabin at Shaver Lake will not do it for you. I'm just letting you know. A newer model of your car will not do it for you. It will for a little bit. And then it will be a burden to you. A new spouse will not do it for you. I'm just letting you know. A new significant other, a new this, a new that, whatever you are discontent with. I want to remind you of this. I didn't get to tell the last service this. Um, I remember, you know, believe it or not, um, my wife Kelly, I am difficult to deal with sometimes. There have been moments in our marriage where she probably wanted me dead. As a matter of fact, the first time she experienced that feeling, she'd be getting out of jail right about now, I think. But, 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 but here, here, here's the thing. Here's what we've, we've both learned. And it took us a little while. It took us about seven, eight years of our marriage. The grass is always greener where you water it. The grass is greener where you water it. And it's like that with anything in your life and where you are today, it may not be the best place in the world. I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm just talking about contentment in life. It may not be the best place in the, the world, but God, if you belong to God, he has you there and water it and bloom where he's planted you and watch what he does. For I've learned the secret, Paul said, to learn to be content with plenty or little. But God refreshes your soul. And we have a, um, in the Clovis Hills app, one of the things we have that 
I encourage you to download it because here's why. Um, Every week, whatever the passage the sermon's on, like today's the 23rd Psalm, there's a Bible study in there. There's anywhere between eight to 12 Bible study questions to help um, you dive deeper or in your growth group or with your family or with your colleagues at work to dive deeper into the word of God. And the, the kind of the, the genius of doing it this way is that um, even if you're new to the faith and you don't know a lot about the Bible, if you just listen to the sermon, you have something to contribute to that Bible study. But in the same way, if, you, you know, if you're a mature Christian and you're in the word in a daily basis and you're doing that, you have something to contribute because you've read the 23rd Psalm a million times. You've heard 20 sermons on it and you have a lot to contribute to everyone else. And there's, there's a beauty in that. And we have a team of people that write those every week. I learned long ago, I have friends that work in the Christian public publishing industry. They write Bible studies for very famous Bible study books all, all that go out all over the world. And here's what I've learned. They're just people. They're not any smarter than anyone else. And we got people just as smart in our church. So what I did is I pulled together some people with advanced seminary degrees, some people that just know the Bible backwards and forwards, a guy who's a retired pastor, and we get them together and they write these questions every week. And when they got to the 23rd Psalm in the series, one of the guys in the group, he texted me the world's 23rd Psalm. He wrote it himself. He's a retired pastor. I want to read it to you because I, 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 think, I think it speaks and I think sometimes we live by this one instead says this, this is not God's word, by the way. This is Steve's word. The world is my shepherd. I shall never be satisfied. It makes me wait in endless lines to buy things that will break down. It demands that I always be agitated. It saps my soul. It pushes me along paths of consumerism for big business's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will deny all reminders of the brevity of life because the beautiful people never die. No correcting rod or staff will ever be applied to me. Right? We're always right. Don't tell me I'm wrong. The world tantalizes me with every product online. The makeup of the world covers my aging realities. My alcohol consumption runneth over. And surely dissatisfaction and nagging emptiness will follow me all the days of my miserable life. See, the truth of the gospel is this. Is there are two kingdoms in this world. There is the kingdom of this world. And I'm going to be honest with you. um, Anyone who is not in Christ lives in the kingdom of this world. It's not that they're bad people. It's not that they're awful. As a matter of fact, sometimes Christians who who belong to Jesus, we live in the kingdom of this world. And we, we live by its rules, its ways, and all of that. And it makes us miserable. But the kingdom of this world says, I'm going to do life my way. I'm going to set my own rules. I'm going to discover my own identity. I'm going to find out who I am. And we try and find ourselves through self-discovery. 
The gospel, the good news is this, is that you don't have to live there. You don't have to do that because everyone that lives in that world is miserable. We're all reaching for something to comfort us, to make us feel better. And we get it and it's gone. And we get it and it's gone. And we get it and it's gone. And we need more and more and more and more. And it never goes away. And that peace we have, we're supposed to have, we know we're supposed to have. There's a reason we all feel, when you feel Anxiety is because you were created to live in peace, right? When you stand in a shadow, it's because you know that there's sun shining somewhere. And the reality is, that's the kingdom of this world. But in the kingdom of God, when you live the way, when you live your life for Jesus, and you live in his grace and his forgiveness, You're not perfect, you don't have it all figured out, but here's what happens. The Holy Spirit of God, when you begin to walk with Jesus, it comes on you and you begin to develop love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and forbearance. And this thing of contentment, the secret of contentment is when you live in in God's kingdom, when you live your life in God's kingdom because you understand that everything in this kingdom is temporary and doesn't do it. And I love what John, the Apostle John, in his third letter, he says in 3 John, he says this, verse 2. He says, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that it may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Now, the, the thing about the gospel is this, too. It also tells us there's two ways to be lost. You can be lost by living in the kingdom of this world. But you can be equally lost thinking that you can get your act together and you can live your life properly and you can follow all the rules and you can make God happy because you are righteous. And we find all kinds of people in churches all over the world right now who are just as lost in religion as people living in the world. And what the gospel tells us is that when when you realize the love and the grace of Jesus, that you don't have to go find yourself because you never will, And you don't have to prove yourself righteously because you never will. That you can just accept the love of Jesus and walk in his ways. And you won't do it perfectly. As a matter of fact, here's what happens. This is what I found. Every now and then you meet the person that they accept Jesus and bing, they're a different person, right? Um, And and that happens. That happens to to a good number of people. But to most people and to myself included, it wasn't that way. I accepted Jesus and I, you know, I expected birds to land on my shoulders. I'd be like, hello, my animal friends. And I'd stop sinning. And, you know, there'd be a choir of angels that would follow me everywhere. And um, I accepted Jesus. I, you know, and not much happened the next day. I was still the little filthy little pig and I was before The difference, though, was who I gave my heart to. And what happens is, is over time, God begins to transform you. He changes the way you think. That's why it says in in Romans 12, 2, I love this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, hold on. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't know if you know this, but neuroscientists will tell you, um, as human beings, we have things called neuropathways. 
that all the habits, the good habits and the bad habits we have in our life create these neural pathways that, that our brains, our minds, our souls just go to. And if you have a bad habit in your life and you go to say, let's say you feel stressed and you go to pornography to kind of feel, take, take care of that for the moment. You go, that neural pathway starts and becomes a habit in your mind. And whenever you're stressed, it draws you to that thing. But here, here's, here's what happens. Also, when you begin to follow Jesus, you create neural pathways. Our brain is amazing. I don't know if you know how amazing your brain is. Those neural pathways go deep. As a matter of fact, they study um, Alzheimer's patients. And you can have Alzheimer's and you cannot know who your family is, but somehow you know how to find your house because you drove there every day of your life and you created that neural pathway. You cannot know who your child is, but somehow you know how to brush your teeth because you did it hopefully twice a day. And it's the same way with Jesus as you begin to follow Jesus and obey Jesus and put God's word in you daily, daily, be around other believers. Over a period of time, here's what God does, is he transforms the way you think and when you start thinking differently, you start acting differently. That's why he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed to the renewing of your mind. And when you have the courage, because you may feel anxious about some habit you have in your life, some kind of hang up, some kind of hurt, some kind of thing that you normally go to for comfort and it's just creating anxiety in your life. But when you say, no, I'm gonna handle it with God and I'm gonna step into that. What happens is God creates this courage in you. And he builds that muscle of courage. And no longer are you lifting spiritual weights with streamers on it. No longer are you using a spiritual shake weight. Over time, God builds this in you. And then it says in the psalm, what does it say? It says that he guides me along paths for his name's sake. Right? This is God's word being put into you. This is you becoming a disciple of Jesus other people sowing God's word into you, you sowing God's word into you. The second part of Romans 12 too, I only read you the first part. This is the best part. Look what it says. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. See, so once you start this process of renewing your mind and it's a long obedience in God's direction, then what happens is it says you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Over time, the more you learn to pray, the more you learn to seek God, the more you put God's word into you, the more you let other Christians sow God's word into you and sow faith in you, here's what happens is you begin to notice the difference of the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you rather than sushi, bad sushi. Rather than something you saw on TV or rather than just a weird inclination you have or any of that, you begin to hear God's voice and you're able to test and approve it. Because sometimes I hear things that I think are God's voice, but if it is contrary to scripture and what the devil does, the devil uses scripture. He'll, he'll, he'll take something out of context Right, you can do anything you want, Sean. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. No, that's out of context, dummy. I can learn to be content in every circumstance because God gives me the strength to do that. See, so the enemy uses the scripture too, but the more you put it in you, the more you follow Jesus, the more you pray, the, you're able to hear and test it. And I wanna, I wanna encourage you, Pastor Scott, in, at this campus at least, he talked about it, I don't know about the other campuses, but um, we're starting a, a program called Restore Biblical Coaching. 
And we've taken a, a group of people and we've taken them through a 20-week training on, on how to coach you in life. So if you're struggling in life, you're struggling in your faith or you're struggling with, with, with something going on in life or you just need to talk to someone or you're lonely or whatever it is, we had therapists and psychologists, all who are strong Bible-believing Christians, pastors, so into this group of biblical coaches. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, if you need someone to talk to and you want someone to sow God's word into you, is going to guide you along his path for his name's sake, this, that's the place to do it. It's on our website, the care ministry. It's also on your app. Maybe you want to become a coach. You can email them too, but I'm here to give you the best part though. Okay? John 14, Jesus said this. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. See, Jesus goes on later and he says, in this world you will have trouble. This is not a sermon on how to leap over trouble and ride a unicorn on a rainbow and eat Skittles for the rest of your life and never get fat. The reality is, in this life there will be trouble. All human beings have pain. All human beings have anxiety. Your brain was wired for that. But here's the thing, Jesus said, believe in me. And the, 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 the beauty of the gospel is that the God of the universe made you. He has you if you will give yourself to him. Look what it says in John 14. He go, this is further down in the chapter. Jesus says this in verse 26 and 27. He says, but the advocate, you want a counselor? You want a therapist? The advocate, who's the advocate? The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And then he says this, peace, 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 I leave you. Peace, I, my peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. See, theirs is for a moment. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, God has made you to be courageous. He has made you to step into difficult moments in your life. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. It doesn't even mean you'll handle it perfectly. But God has made you to be courageous and the peace he lives you, leaves you. Now, some of you today, you've never taken hold of Jesus. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. It says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. You have to receive Jesus. That's why it says in Revelation 3, 20, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He's standing at the door of your heart waiting for you to open it and receive him. And here's the interesting thing. God respects you so much, you can have the world. You can go live in the world and live in the kingdom of this world and buy stuff and get stuff and try and find peace there. And I promise you, you will never find it. As a matter of fact, you will, you'll end up miserable trying to find it because everyone that's ever climbed to the top of the ladder never found it. 
But Jesus says, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. But you can't have it till you take hold of it. And I promise you this. Some of you, you're scared because this has been, the world has been the thing that has comforted you your whole life. And you just keep hitting that dopamine drop every time you have anxiety. But your anxiety's growing and you're running out of dopamine. And you're like, but I don't know. I don't know. What, if, I give up, if, I, if I follow Jesus, I might have to give some of this up. And this is my comfort. This is the thing. Well, how is it working for you? And here's the thing. I promise you, follow Jesus. Jesus loves you so much that if you follow him and you don't like it, he will gladly refund your, menace, your misery. He will. He'll let you go right back into that old life. But the way of Jesus is the way of peace. It doesn't mean there'll be no anxiety. What it means is that the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He leads you beside still waters. He provides for you. And he refreshes your soul, even in times of trouble. Why would you ever not want that? I'm gonna lead us in a moment and we're gonna pray. And this morning, if you've never received Jesus like that, I just wanna encourage you to take, take courage, don't be afraid. The God of the universe, he knew you were gonna hear this today. He knocks at the door of your heart and he knows the courage it takes to open it and try, try the way of Jesus when you don't even know what that future looks like. But I could tell you what, God's future for your life will always be better than the one you planned. It'll always be better. I'm gonna give you a moment to take that courageous step. Maybe this morning you're a Christian, but you've been living in the kingdom of the world. Been there, done that. Right, you're off working on your testimony. God loves you, he's not mad at you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you are a new creation. You were bought with a price and it's time to come home to him. And he loves you right where you're at. He loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you where you're at. Let's pray.